I probably have the least amount of notes that I've ever had for a message, uh, which sometimes doesn't make any difference because I don't follow my notes anyway, but uh, I must say I've, in studying for this subject, I have uh, learned the most. I think I said to another brother, perhaps that revealed my ignorance on the subject more than uh, how much I've learned. I, uh, I must say I got a greater appreciation for uh, the book of Isaiah and for, uh, for the first time in my life, very intrigued, wanting to look into the book of Revelation. And I had a Martin moment where I got caught up on one subject and I got diverted here and then I was chasing a rabbit down the trail. And then I was investigating the 666 in Revelation and the mark of the beast, and that just kind of went on. And then an hour and a half went by, and I realized, oh, I'm way off track here. Where did I get from the new heaven and the new earth to the mark of the beast? And, uh, yeah, I can sympathize with you, brother. But, uh, yeah, it's very intriguing, just wanting to... uh, yeah, delve into these things more and more. Of course, you look through the book of Revelation and you go, wow, this is a lot to cover and uh, a lot to know. <clears throat> and uh, not just to come up with a message, but to just to know God more. That's really where we're all at as we open our Bibles We're looking into the word of God and the mind of God and the revelation of God, even God himself speaking. So let's look to 2 Peter just to get an initial, often forget where we are. Start reading in at verse uh, 10, 2 Peter 3 and verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation? And godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found in him in peace, without spot, and blameless. So we have been through the, really the entire Old Testament on the day of the Lord to see what it meant for them and to see um, what it means for us The day of the Lord, of course, is a day of destruction of the wicked and the salvation of the righteous. And if there was any righteous to be saved, they would be saved. If I could say uh, simultaneous would not be the right word, but just before divine wrath came, the righteous would be delivered. And if we look at historically um, all the days of the Lord that have taken place, The first one being the uh, destruction of the earth by water, spoken of in this passage. The day that Noah entered the ark, then the rain came down from heaven. The day that um, Lot left Sodom, then fire and brimstone rained down from heaven. The day that the Romans surrounded Jerusalem, the holy place, the... uh, writer Matthew says flee and many 
believers fled Jerusalem and Judea and escaped the wrath that was then going to fall. So the, um, the day of the Lord is a time of judgment, yes, but of salvation uh, for his people. And that day is, yet there is one great day of the Lord coming. And it's not going to be by water that God is going to destroy the world, but by fire. But then when he destroys this world, um, he's going to remake it. Now whether um, it's going to be a complete annihilation of the world, I don't think we could conclude that by what we read. But it would seem that he is going to cleanse this world as he did by water. He's going to cleanse it by fire. And then he is going to remake it. So we're looking for two things. The Christian is looking for two things. We are looking for, it says in verse 12, and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. And that is a motivation to live holy lives and to get the junk out of our lives, as it were, purge our lives of useless things and to be about God's business, to be ready to share the gospel, to be supporting the work of God, loving his people, loving the lost, setting our hearts, uh, as it were, on the day of God. We know that if the world's going to be destroyed by fire, then what manner of persons ought we to be? And the world is just going along as if everything is hunky-dory, and um, just living for this life. And that is the, should be a grief to us, to our own souls, and knowing that it's all going to be dissolved. Nevertheless, we, in verse 13, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth. And that's not with our eyes, right? That's with our hearts. We're looking. <clears throat> While we look, not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. So it's not looking with the physical eye, although I do wonder what it will be like. Um, But we're looking with the eyes of the heart, at the word of God, seeing and believing. Noah, with fear, was moved to build the ark. Because God says, I'm going to destroy the world. And how is that any different from what we are in now? God says, I'm going to destroy the world by fire. I don't know how long that event will take. Noah, uh, it was a protracted event that lasted many days. I don't know how long it took for everyone to die. Not a nice thing to think about. But, and I don't know what it will be like at the end of the age. But... <clears throat> Just as much as he promises to destroy the world, he promises to uh, make a new heaven and a new earth. So in the looking into this subject, it is impossible to understand it without uh, looking into the Old Testament. Turn to uh, Psalm uh, 43. <clears throat> now, unlike the, uh, the Jews, the Gentile has, has no, um, no real central city, central place of worship. I know that other religions have sought to create that, whether it's Islam or whether it's the Roman Catholic Church. Um, They have sought to create that. But for the uh, believer, or for the Jew, it was was Jerusalem. It's not Psalm 43.
certainly thought it was Psalm 43. Of course, I didn't write it down, so there you are. Um, Help me. Oh, here it is. Psalm 48. Pardon me. Psalm 48. But for the Jew, uh, everything surrounded around Jerusalem, around the holy city, even if you lived uh, afar off, you mourned, as it were, because you didn't live in Zion. You didn't live on the holy mountain. And everything in the mind of the Jew that loved the Lord, was there. And so there are many psalms uh, about that. Psalm 48, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion, on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. God is known in her palaces for a refuge. For lo, the kings were assembled, they passed by together. They saw it, and so they marveled, and they were troubled and hasted away. Fear took hold upon them there, and pain as of a woman in travail. Thou breakest the ships of Tarshish with an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, the city of our God. God will establish it forever. Selah. We have thought of thy loving kindness, O God, in the midst of thy temple. According to thy name, O God, so is thy praise unto the ends of the earth. Thy right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion rejoice. Let the daughters of Judah be glad because of thy judgments. Walk about Zion and go round about her. Tell the towers thereof. Mark ye well her bulwarks. Consider her palaces, that ye may tell it unto a generation following. For this, is, for this God is our God forever and ever. He'll be our guide, even unto death. <clears throat> for the Jew, Zion was everything because God was there. That was the place you went to worship. That was a beautiful place. David said, one thing I've desired of the Lord, to uh, behold the beauty of the Lord in his temple. And to inquire of him there. Turn to, uh, I think it's Psalm of Ascents uh, 133, I believe. Singing a song of Zion. Uh, 137. This is emblematic of a Jew that's been taken out of his land, the God is disciplining or chastening the people that dwelt in, uh, in Zion. By the rivers of Babylon where we sat down, yea, we wept when we remembered Zion. So for them, there was just no substitute um, for being anywhere on the entire earth but in Zion. <clears throat> And they hang their harps upon the willows in the midst thereof. For they that carried us away captive required of us a song. And they that wasted us required of us mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? If I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember thee, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I prefer not Jerusalem above my chief joy. So for the Jew, Jerusalem, uh, Zion was their chief joy. And coming back there was, um, there were songs to sing as you were ascending, not um, from north to south, but in elevation coming up to Mount Zion. You'd be far away in uh, a strange land, and coming to Zion was great uh, joy. So for the Jew, Zion became a picture of heaven. And uh, as we will look through um, 
through the Old Testament, we see that indeed that is there. It's a place where God was, a place of holiness, a place of peace, a place of rest, a place of um, beauty, everything. And thus is uh, Jerusalem is a picture of the new heavens and the new earth. And it's uh, a wonderful and exciting thing. Turn to the book of Isaiah. As we shall see, when Peter there says, according to his promise, God has promised that he would um, make a new heavens and the new earth. And the... The foreshadowing of that was was Zion, was uh, Jerusalem. Turn to Isaiah chapter 4. Now there is not much in the entire Old Testament about the new heavens and the new earth. There's really only two scriptures that mention it explicitly. But there's other scriptures that are kind of woven around that that um, legitimately tie the two together. Now, in many people's minds, there's other scriptures that are tied together because they have certain preconceptions and have developed theological views about the millennium. You've heard of that. The millennium is not mentioned anywhere in the, New, in the Old Testament. The only place it is mentioned, uh, the thousand years, is in uh, Revelation chapter 20. And somehow, even though there is no, uh, there's nothing in the book of Isaiah, there's nothing in uh, any of those scriptures, Peter doesn't mention it. But people have brought those two together and they say that in the millennium, um, the many of the promises for Israel about the land will be fulfilled. It'll be a time uh, of restoration for Israel and for uh, kind of like Eden, but... Uh, It won't be much different from Eden, really, after the curse, because there will still be wicked people living in the millennium, uh, and there will still be people dying in the millennium, and there will still be rebellion in the millennium. Now, those that would object to saying that we're in the millennium now would say, if this is the millennium, I'm disappointed. But if your view of the millennium is there's still wicked people and then there is a massive rebellion, I'm disappointed, frankly, too. <laughs> so no matter which view you take, um, you're going to uh, have a problem theologically. Um, but as we shall see, there are many uh, theological misconceptions, might I say, that uh, bind people to have certain views or see certain scriptures when they read them, they're thinking of that. And if we can perhaps be freed up to think uh, only what the text is saying, then, uh, and as I've said many times before, these things are things that haven't happened yet, but people sometimes would charge you Um, with not believing the Bible if you don't take many of these things literally. Um, But, as I think I've said, and I will say it explicitly, I believe that there will be a literal new heavens and a new earth. Just so we can have that, you know, so people aren't thinking, Sean, man, you don't believe the Bible, you don't believe that. Yes, I do believe the Bible, But maybe I don't believe um, certain theological positions that have arisen 
really only in the past uh, couple hundred years. And uh, yeah, we'll comment on those things uh, as we go. Now, as we said before, Mount Zion, uh, the, the, the holy mountain, that word and those phrases will come up over and over again. And we're going to see what they uh, meant. So let's uh, turn to Isaiah 4 and uh, really Isaiah 4 is just an extension of Isaiah chapter 3. And you'll notice it begins with uh, the word and. So God has reproved the nation Uh, specifically the women for walking in pride of appearance, Uh, the daughters of Zion there. And then there is a judgment. And in that day, seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We'll eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. Verse 2, In that day, shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely to them that are escaped of Israel. And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion and he that remaineth in Jerusalem shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. Amazing, just amazing language. The branch of the Lord, as we shall see in Isaiah, is the Messiah, the root and the offspring of David. And he comes and he restores and makes holy some people in Israel. And as we shall see, he uh, restores Israel and then they go out to um, bring in the rest of the Gentiles in the world. So it's a wonderful picture. And then you'll see woven in is Jerusalem, and they shall be called holy, even everyone that is written among the living. Not living physically, but living spiritually. This is all pictures of the new covenant. When the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, The Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For upon all the glory shall be a defense. So you see that imagery there. The allusion is to God in the tabernacle in the wilderness. And in Mount Zion, there's a fire by uh, night and a smoke of a cloud by day. That's the Shekinah. That was the, the promise of the presence of God in the midst of his people. <clears throat> and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a covert from the storm and from the rain. Again, a wonderful picture of the new covenant. And it's all in Mount Zion. then quickly turn over to Isaiah 32 Isaiah 32 for that last phrase there there shall be a place of refuge a covert from the storm and from the rain so woven in inextricably with the physical Mount Zion is the spiritual um, person of the Lord Jesus and what he does. He cleanses the people. He calls them holy. He makes them holy. He washes away their filth. He protects them. He dwells with them. And he is a um, covert. Behold, a king shall reign in righteousness, Isaiah uh, 32, verse 1. And the princes shall rule in judgment, and a man shall be a hiding place from the wind and a covert from the tempest. And notice what he is. He's rivers of water in a dry place as the shadow of a rock 
in a weary land. So all of those things were the Messiah. He would do all those things, but pictured in that is woven in is Zion, Jerusalem, the holy city. Turn over to uh, Isaiah chapter 11. Now, nobody would probably cite those passages in the discussion about the millennium. They would cite this one, though, and you'll see why. We're going to read the whole chapter because there's things in it that um, I believe would lend to the understanding that it is not literal, but it is rather speaking of spiritual realities. And sometimes if you're looking at the physical, you're looking for a physical fulfillment, you're going to miss the spiritual reality. And that, in fact, is more important. Isaiah chapter 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Again, we read that back in Isaiah 4. Same thing. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Again, Martin has explained that. The, the Messiah, the branch, is going to have the Spirit of God. And he is going to be uh, divine. He's not going to judge by what he sees, by what he knows. <clears throat> That's how he's going to judge. But with righteousness, he'll judge the poor and reprove with equity the meek of the earth. And he'll smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And the righteous and righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. And the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and the little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox, and the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the wean child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. <clears throat> now those that would uh, believe in a literal millennium say this is what's going to be like. The animal world will be transformed, um, and it's going to be like a new Eden. Um, I don't believe that's what Isaiah is talking about, as we shall see. Right after he mentions that, notice what it says. And they shall not hurt they, nor destroy in all my holy mountain. The holy mountain is Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem. Now, if you took that as the whole earth, um, Well, is that just going to happen in Jerusalem? I believe what he is saying is the um, there's not going to be any ravenous beasts in Jerusalem, and we'll we'll get to that what that actually means, because he mentions it at the end here in verse 16, and the mention of uh, the Messiah and what he's going to do. God isn't, is, isn't interested necessarily in animals, but he is interested in changing what? What is the real problem in the world? It isn't animals. It's sin. It's people, their hearts. That is the real problem. <laughs> um, it's evil in people's hearts, and that's what he's about to change. So he isn't talking about animals that you walk around Jerusalem that aren't going to eat you and destroy you. But it's people, it's men whose hearts says their mouths are an open sepulcher. Evil people 
because they have evil hearts. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse that shall stand for an ensign of the people, and to it the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. The rest of Messiah on Mount Zion is going to be glorious. And unto it the Gentiles will seek. He's going to lift up a standard. When Christ is lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men to myself. A wonderful fulfillment of the book of Isaiah and the Gentiles looking unto unto that standard. So look what happens after he lifts up uh, the root of Jesse is the ensign. And it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. So he draws all the remnant of Israel back uh, to himself. And that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Men from every nation, Jews, they were there and they saw the Messiah in all of his glory. And verse 12, and he shall set up an ensign for the nations. That's the, uh, both the Gentiles and for Jews that are, that are outcasts. The outcasts of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. There, verse 13 and 14, and then uh, he's going to fix, as it were, the divided nation. Israel was a divided nation. And then down in uh, verse 15, And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea, and with his mighty wind shall he shake his hand over the river, and shall smite it into seven streams, and men shall go over on dry shod. A picture of coming back from exile, and he references Egypt, and he smites a river, and it becomes... um, Seven streams so that men can just walk over on dry shod. This is all figurative language of a literal reality, that a spiritual reality. Verse 16, and there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria, like as was to Israel in the day they came up out of the land of Egypt. Now he's not talking about a literal highway. Right? He's talking about a spiritual reality. He's coming back to Mount Zion in your heart, <clears throat> coming back to Jerusalem, coming back to the Messiah, and being exiled out of the land. And then in doing so, he changes people's hearts. And that really is the picture of the wolf. <clears throat> he says to to his disciples, "Beware of men because they are wolves in sheep's clothing. Men are wolves, ferocious and vicious and harmful." But uh, Saul of Tarsus was one of those men. He was a wolf, he was a bear, he was a lion. It says he was breathing out threats and violence against the church, and God so changed him that he could say, I was among you as a nursing uh, mother. And that is the fulfillment of, and I would say, a much greater work than turning a lion to eat grass like an ox. Turning a man's heart who was a ferocious beast devouring people to that where he was used a vessel to spread joy and peace and blessing to I mean think of someone in the Bible that has impacted the world like Saul of Tarsus and how he was uh, changed turn over to Isaiah 65 And this is undoubtedly when Peter says, according to his promise, this is what he was thinking of. He was thinking of the book of Isaiah and the promise uh, of God. 
again, uh, as we'll be reading chapter 65 and chapter 66, um, because this is what Peter was thinking of when he um, said, according to his promise. Now, at this time, Israel was in a bad way. It was um, gone after idols. There was always a remnant, but um, the nation, despite what king was on the throne, the nation was given to idolatry. It was given to religious hypocrisy, even when they um, worshipped in the temple, they had their idols on the side. And unfortunately for Israel, it had always been that way. Remember Joshua, when he came in, he said, put away your idols that you brought from Egypt. Um, serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And they had always uh, forever done that. And times they'd gone back. And at this time, God had stretched out his hand for uh, many, many years. And this is uh, many, many years before the destruction of Jerusalem when all these things uh, were happening. Verse, uh, chapter 65, I am sought of them that ask not for me. I am found of them that sought for me not. I said, behold me, behold me. To a nation that was not called by my name, I've spread out my hands all day long unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that is not good after their own thoughts. A people that provoke me to anger continually to my face, that sacrifice in the gardens and burn incense upon altars of brick, which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments, which eat swine's flesh and the broth of abominable things in their vessels. So he says, the first opening line is to uh, a prophecy about reaching out to the Gentiles. Because he's spread out his hands all day long. God is there. The picture is, he's saying, come back to me. The father looking for the son afar off. And they're just walking after idols. But then he mentions... He says to a nation that is not called by his name, the Gentiles. <clears throat> and then he laments about these people. They're after, they're, they're amongst the graves. They, um, they worship their idols amongst the monuments. They are um, camping out, as it were, in the graveyards <clears throat> into... Uh, necromancy, contacting the dead and sorcery and all of those things. And notice they're self-righteous, which say in verse 5, Stand by thyself, come not near me, for I am holier than thou. You know that phrase, you've heard it, holier than thou. That's where it comes from, right from here. These people that were religious hypocrites, they were idolaters, and yet they would be believing, because they're Jews, they're holier than others. And God uh, hates that. He said, These are smoke in my nose, a fire that burneth all the day. Behold, it is written before me, I will not keep silence, but I will recompense, even recompense, into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore, I will measure their former work into their bosom. That's a picture of idolatry, burning incense on the high mountains and the hills. Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake, that I may not destroy them all. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah, an inheritor of my mountains, And mine elect shall inherit it, and my servants shall dwell there. 
and Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and, a val- and the valley of Achor a place for the herds to lie down for my people that have sought me. So despite his rejection of the nation, by and large, there's always a remnant, always a small amount of people <clears throat> that um, love the Lord and that uh, lament the, uh, the situation in the nation. But he flips back and forth between speaking to those people, the idolaters, and speaking to the righteous. Verse 11, But they that forsake the Lord, that forget my holy mountain, that prepare a table for that troop, and that furnish the drink offering unto that number, therefore will I number you to the sword, and ye shall bow down to the slaughter. Because when I called, ye did not answer. When I spake, ye did not hear but did evil before my eyes, and did choose that which wherein I delighted not. Therefore thus saith the Lord, Behold, my servants shall eat, but ye shall be hungry. Behold, my servants shall drink, but ye shall be thirsty. Behold, my servants shall rejoice, but ye shall be ashamed. Behold, my servants shall sing for joy of heart, but ye shall cry for sorrow of heart. And ye shall howl for vexation of spirit. And ye shall leave your name for a curse unto my chosen, for the Lord God shall slay thee and call his servants by another name. All picturing the, the new covenant. The people of God are now Christians. A new name. <clears throat> and he who blesses himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth, because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hid from mine eyes. Here it is, verse 17. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered, nor come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy. And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. So he's going to create a new Jerusalem. And this is still under the old covenant. Now they haven't even gone into exile yet. This is prior to... Nebuchadnezzar destroying the temple, which he still will do. But he is going to, uh, he promises to make a new heaven and uh, a new earth. And both the people uh, will be um, a rejoicing. There's going to be blessing there. There's going to be righteousness there. Verse 19 And there's going to be no more weeping and no more crying. And verse 20. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old shall be accursed. So, the whole... um, doctrine of the millennium starts to develop in many people's minds here. So, unlike Revelation chapter 21, where death is abolished, it seems that death is not abolished here. And thus, that's where people get that the millennium, Christ reigning physically on earth, is only going to last a thousand years, according to Revelation chapter 20. Because even though people's lives are extended, they're still going to die. And when people die, what happens? Crying. There's sorrow and crying. But here, um, it says there's not going to be a voice of weeping shall be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. Um, So I honestly don't know what this refers to, but whatever it is, 
it's not going to be a place where there's no sorrow and there's no death. And um, the new heavens and the new earth, there is going to be only righteousness. And as John would reveal, there's going to be no crying, no weeping, no dying, and all that will be eliminated. Um, I wouldn't let the cat out of the bag too fast, but um, (laughs) what I really believe this is talking about. Well, we'll keep going. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer, and while they are yet speaking, I will hear. And the wolf and the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like a bullock, and the dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Again, the holy mountain, Mount Zion, Jerusalem, it's a place where people will dwell in joy and peace. They shall return to Mount Zion with singing everlasting joy upon their heads. That's all from uh, the book of Isaiah. But here we've got, um, people would say, it's in the millennium. Christ is going to be reigning on earth. There's still going to be sinners on the earth, wicked people in their hearts that want to rebel against Christ, but they're kept down. Um, That's frankly kind of what it is like now. People um, want to rebel, but they are kept back by certain things, by law and order. And... uh, but the, the, nevertheless, the promise is, is that God is going to uh, bless his people and he's going to create Jerusalem a joy. <clears throat> Let's keep reading. Thus saith the Lord. This is 66, chapter 66. The heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you'll build for me? And where is the place of my rest. Remember, it says that his rest shall be glorious. So where is God going to rest? And uh, he's going to rest in Jerusalem and in Mount Zion. Ultimately is a picture of heaven, the dwelling place of God. Verse 2. For all those things hath my hand made, that is, the heavens and the earth. How are you going to build a temple for me, God says. Solomon had the same thoughts. He said, the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I have built. But God still condescended to, to dwelling in Jerusalem uh, in a temple there and showing a his presence by his uh, Shekinah glory. But notice verse 2, For all those things hath my hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and that trembleth at my word. Who am I going to dwell with? Who's going to dwell with me? But the man like this, And then in verse 3, he talks about hypocritical worship. He that killeth an ox is as if he slew a man, and he that sacrifices a lamb is as if he cut off a dog's neck, and he that offered an oblation is as if he offered swine's blood. He that burneth incense is as if he blessed an idol. Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abominations." I will also choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them because they, when I called, none did answer. When I spake, 
they did not hear. But they did evil before my eyes and chose that which is in which I delighted not. Hear the word of the Lord, ye that tremble at his word, your brethren that hated you and that cast you out for my name's sake. And let the Lord be glorified, but he shall appear to your joy, and they shall be ashamed. A voice of noise from the city, a voice from the temple, a voice of the Lord that rendereth recompense to his enemies. For she travailed and she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. That's the Messiah. Who hath heard such a thing? Who hath seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to bring forth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion travailed, she brought forth her children. She shall bring to birth and not cause to bring forth. Saith the Lord, shall I cause to bring forth and shut the womb, saith the Lord God. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad with her, all ye that love her. Rejoice for joy with her and all ye that mourn for her that ye may suck and be satisfied with the breasts of her consolations, that ye may milk out and be delighted with the abundance of her glory. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I'll extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. When ye suck, ye shall be born upon her sides and dandled upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforteth, so I will comfort you, and ye shall be comforted. In Jerusalem. And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice, and your bones shall flourish like a herb, and the hand of the Lord shall be known toward his servants, and his indignation toward his enemies. So again, he makes Jerusalem a rejoicing. The Gentiles come, and they are fed off of the glory of Jerusalem the holy mountain, the place where God dwells. The Gentiles there, like a little child being dandled, I want to say dangled, but uh, dandled on the knees, like a mother just playing with a child. That's the picture. Uh, Jerusalem feeding the world of Gentiles with the blessing that God has blessed them with. And that is no one else uh, but the Messiah. So a wonderful picture of nourishment and the relationship between a a mother and her little baby. And that is what God pictures. But first he has to make Jerusalem a joy, the joy of all the earth. Oh, we'll keep reading. And when you see this, your heart shall rejoice. Verse 15, for behold, the Lord will come with a fire and with chariots like a whirlwind to render his anger with fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. They that sanctify themselves, putting themselves in the gardens behind uh, one tree in the midst, eating swine's flesh and the abomination, and the mouse shall be consumed together, saith the Lord. For I know their works and their thoughts. It will come, it shall come, and I will gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. And I will set a sign among them, and I will send those that escape, that is, escape out of. Uh, Mount Zion, unto the nations, to Tarshish, to Pul, to Lud, that draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the isles afar off, that have not heard my fame, neither have seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the Gentiles. So the people of God are blessed, and they go out to the world to share his glory to the Gentiles. Kind of sounds like the new covenant, what's already happened. Israel blessed and they go out to reach the world. In verse 20, And they shall bring all your brethren for an offering unto the Lord out of the nations, upon horses and in chariots and in litters, upon mules and upon swift beasts, to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, 
saith the Lord, as the children of Israel bring an offering in a clean vessel unto the house of the Lord. So they go out and they not only bring Gentiles, but they bring their brethren. Now, if you're expecting a literal fulfillment of this, you're looking for a bunch of people bringing on horses and litters and swift beasts to the holy mountain Jerusalem. I don't think that's what's happening. It isn't a literal bringing all these people back, but they go out and they bring them back in their hearts to Jerusalem, the joy of all the earth, to the king. And that's who they're really bringing them back to. Verse 21, he says, I will take them for priests and Levites, saith the Lord. Now, in order to be a priest and a Levite, you had to be from the tribe of Levi. But these go out and they make all these people priests. That sounds like the new covenant. Where we're all kings and we're all priests. Verse 22, and here it is again. For as the new heaven and the new earth which I will make shall remain before me, saith the Lord, so shall your seed and your name remain. That's the name of the people of God. And it shall come to pass from one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another shall all flesh come and worship before me, saith the Lord. Again, not a literal coming because when the whole world is, is worshiping God, they're not literally coming to Jerusalem. And besides, that all ended at the beginning of the new covenant. (laughs) Uh, Soon after, Christ went up into heaven and his disciples began going throughout the whole earth. Uh, The temple and the temple worship and all that was obliterated. To show both the people of Israel and the world that no longer... um, The Lord himself said it. No longer at Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. So the intention of God is that people in their hearts would um, worship God. But nonetheless, Jerusalem is still the picture that God developed over many centuries um, in the heart and the mind of the Jew longing to be there, a place of beauty, a place where God dwelled, is uh, what he was after. Verse 23, or 24. Again, I don't believe this is a literal, earthly happening. Because if this is the millennium, this is what people go out to see. And they shall go forth. And look upon the carcasses of men they have transgressed against me. For their worms shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched. And they shall be abhorring unto all flesh. I don't believe this. Like, if anything would cause distress and sorrow, it would be going out and seeing all these dead carcasses on the ground. Um, Again, I don't believe this is a literal happening but it is saying that the people of God will see triumph of the gospel of God of the um, the message that God it reigns and they will see the destruction of the wicked Um, that's what Peter is talking about We look for the day of God, destruction of the wicked, and we look for a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, These are all spiritual realities. Turn to Romans chapter 16. I believe that Paul uh, understood these things right from the book of Isaiah. Romans, is it? Verse 
Of course, I didn't write these down, so I've sort of locked my notes anyway. <clears throat> yeah, Romans fifteen sixteen. That I should be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. He sees himself as a priest offering up the Gentiles who were an acceptable sacrifice. There in Isaiah, he talks about uh, bringing a sacrifice or an offering in a clean vessel. Ultimately, what God has pictured is clean vessels, men's hearts cleansed by the gospel of Christ, coming and worshiping him in his holy mountain. And that is none other than the church, uh, the church of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> I have no idea. It says it's quarter to nine. So I have time. Oh, we got the communion. I don't have time. Um, okay, we'll, we'll bring the plane down. You know, they always, the seatbelt sign's on now. You. <laughs> you know that put your seatbelt on we're coming down <clears throat> okay so many questions not enough answers um, so we've examined the Old Testament background of Mount Zion <clears throat> and the culmination of, the pro- of all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus um, most of which have been accomplished. And then when I was writing this, I said, except for two things. And then I thought of another thing, and I scratched it out and wrote three things. And then I thought of another thing, and I scratched it out and wrote four things. <laughs> so there's four things that are remaining. All the rest have been fulfilled. That is, all that is necessary to prepare a people for the new heaven and the new earth, right? That's what God, first he prepares the citizens and then he brings them to the new heaven and the new earth. That makes sense. He prepares the people and then he brings them to the new heavens and the new earth. So what are the four things that are still remaining that haven't been fulfilled? And it's these. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse... 23. And we'll just read them, if it's possible, without comment. First Corinthians 15, verse 23. <clears throat> but every man in his order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward they that are Christ at his coming. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, and when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign until he hath put all enemies under his feet. So what's left is the resurrection of his saints, which happens just before the day of the Lord. And then the destruction of the wicked, for he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. And one of the enemies is death, which will be destroyed at the resurrection, or the display of its power at the resurrection. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things to put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things are subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. And another thing that has not happened yet, which seems obvious, but we'll mention it, is the destruction of this present world which will take place at the coming of Christ. 
and then finally the bringing in of the new heavens and the new earth until this earth is taken out of the way or destroyed then obviously that uh, cannot happen again I didn't have any hope that I would finish I'll try and finish next time on the, the new heaven and the new earth Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, we uh, thank you that uh, you are our teacher. Uh, you've given us uh, all of your word to, to know you, to love you, to serve you, Lord. Pray that we would gather in uh, many, both Jews and Gentiles, Lord, as your gospel continues to go out in this world. Lord, desire to be busy about your business. Thank you, Lord, for the emblems before us. and Thank you for what you've done to prepare us, Lord. Make us fit for dwelling above. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>